You're listening to TIP. On today's show, I talk with Anna Klein to discuss many aspects of real estate taxes from a high level. Anna is a CPA and the owner and CEO of AKK Tax and Accounting. A hot topic amongst real estate investors is whether or not you should be doing your investments with an LLC. During this interview, we talked about that from a tax perspective rather than from a legal perspective, which is the perspective that a lot of guests give here on the show. And we also talk about possible scenarios on when someone should possibly have an LLC and when you might not want or need one. Anna being a CPA and a real estate investor, she shared her thoughts regarding the common mistakes that people make in their investments from a tax perspective, things that investors don't do but should, and the importance of separating your business and personal expenses. We also dive into some misconceptions on what is the CPA's job versus what is our responsibility as investors, and much more. Before we get into the interview with Anna, I'm also going to share a quick writing I sent out as part of my newsletter that is related to taxes and house hacking and sort of just everything that we talk about in today's episode. So I hope you guys enjoy that piece as well. Now, without further delay, let's get into today's episode all about taxes with Anna Klein. You're listening to Real Estate Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Estate 101 podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And today's guest, as I mentioned in the intro, is going to be Anna Klein. But before we get into the conversation with Anna, I want to share with you a short newsletter that I sent out last week. It was called What People Miss About House Hacking. And so the newsletter went on to say, house hacking is one of the most powerful real estate investing strategies there is. However, it seems most people only look at it for reducing their living costs, whether it be their rent or mortgage. While that is one of the main benefits, it's certainly not the only one. Some people call it landlording with training wheels. Others call it landlording light. Whatever you call it, the point is that house hacking often allows you to start learning the ropes of being a landlord and owning rental properties as easy as possible. There are numerous other benefits of house hacking that are quite widely known, so we won't touch on them here. However, there is one piece of house hacking that I think is often overlooked taxes. And please remember, I am not a CPA, nor am I a certified tax professional in any way. None of this is specific tax advice. If you have specific tax questions, please consult the tax advisor. I do have a great one that I use myself. So if you're looking for a recommendation, just let me know and I'm happy to give you his contact info. When I first got started house hacking, I certainly didn't realize what I'm about to explain. I'm on my third one now, so I know the ropes a bit better but it did not start out this way. What most people are missing is that if you own a duplex, triplex, or fourplex as a house hack, the units you are not living in, but are renting out, are often treated as a traditional rental unit from a tax perspective. If you have repairs and maintenance on the units you're not living in, it can potentially be tax deductible. Where this becomes powerful, at least for me, is through things that are somewhat shared. Let's take landscaping as an example. 
I think it's safe to say that most people want the outside of their home to look nice. As someone who lives in the property, we'd likely pay for this regardless of whether or not we had to for rental purposes. However, using a duplex as an example, half of the cost of landscaping is sometimes tax deductible since half is for one unit that is a rental. For me, recently, I had to buy a pressure washer to clean the siding on the outside of the building. Since I live in a duplex and half the building that was cleaned was for a rental unit, half of the cost of the pressure washer is tax deductible for me. I needed a lawnmower to mow the lawn. Half of it is also a tax write-off. If I decide I don't want to mow the lawn myself anymore and I hire someone to do it, half of that cost should be a tax write-off. Snowblower? Half the cost is also a tax write-off. I think you see the point. I'm able to get a tax write-off for these items and have them for my own personal use if needed, as long as it is half used for the rental unit. The key takeaway from this newsletter is to remember that your rental units should be treated as a business, even if they are part of your house hack. Take advantage of the opportunities that presents. I hope you guys found that valuable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I think it ties in well to the tax conversation that we're about to have with Anna. So I hope you guys really enjoyed that and I hope you got some value from it. And I hope it really sparked some thoughts that you maybe hadn't considered before in the past about house hacking, whether you're doing it already or you're considering doing it in the future. And now let's bring in Anna Klein to the show. Anna, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Robert. I am so excited to be here. I appreciate it. Tell us a bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't start being a real estate investor. I actually became a real estate CPA before I did investing and I did the normal went public, went to school, hated that. So I was like, okay, let me start my own firm. So I started my own firm. And at the beginning, I just took everybody that would come in the door, right? Because I'm trying to pay my bills. So whoever wants to give me their trust, I'll take them. And then eventually, I started looking at clients returns who were real estate investors who just fell on my lap. And I realized how little in taxes they were paying compared to my high net worth earners, such as doctors, attorneys. I'm like, there's something here. So I just started learning everything I could. I think like any other investor, bigger pockets. What's that book? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. So then I'm like, I actually love this. I flipped a home without knowing that I was in real estate. So I kind of just fell into my lap and then I learned everything about it. And then I realized how amazing it was for tax purposes. So that's how I ended up being just loving real estate and just wanting to be the best real estate CPA. So it sounds like you were already a CPA, but not a real estate focused CPA. Then you found real estate and then became a real estate focused CPA. Yes. So I started my firm just being like a CPA. And then, like I said, the IRS code is just so geared towards small businesses and then real estate that I realized that I needed to find a niche. And this is exactly what I love. And I saw the potential. So that's exactly why I was like, let me just focus on real estate. When did you know you were ready to leave the corporate world and make the jump into becoming a full-time entrepreneur? I hate taking orders from people. So I always knew I was going to leave my 9 to 5. I hated being 9 to 5. And it's not even 9 to 5. It's 8 to 5 with a forced hour break. And I was like, I hate this. So I was in public accounting for four months. I didn't even make it a full tax season. And I remember they had happy hours after work. And I was like, I don't like you this much where I'm here 60 hours a week. 
and then I still have to go see you at happy hour. Like, no, y'all, like, I just want to go home with my family, my friends. And I was like, screw this. I'm going to start my own firm. And in 2016, I just went full on and I started my own firm. How has being a CPA impacted your own personal real estate investing journey? What do you think that you do differently in your real estate investing because you're a CPA? The biggest thing, honestly, is analyzing deals extremely to the penny. I think being a CPA, we're already very frugal and cheap, what people like to call me. So now I'm always like, if I don't get this return, I don't want it. But then the number two thing, and I think I've learned also from seeing my other clients, is keeping track of expenses very detailed. I think knowing what I need to do in the tax world of what the IRS requires of me, I just put that and make sure that all my deductions are to the T. But also because if I'm not, and this is for all real estate investors, if you are not keeping track of your deductions, you're missing out on so much you just don't know about. From your perspective as a real estate-focused CPA, what do you see as the most common mistake that people are making in their real estate investing journey? The number one is depreciation basis, the basis of their investment. So I think when clients go from not having investment properties to purchasing their first investment property, whether it's a house hack or a multifamily, they don't want to invest money in a CPA. So they're like, oh, that's fine. Like TurboTax is $150. I should be able to do it. You have no idea, Robert, how many tax returns I've seen where people miss depreciation. Why? Because it's not easy to just say, here's my closing disclosure. I paid $150,000 for a property. That's how much my basis should be. That's not as easy as it works. So missing depreciation and having the incorrect depreciation is the number one thing that I've seen that clients miss by not using a CPA. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? a tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. 
It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. At what point do we need to move away from TurboTax and get a CPA? Is there a point where it's not worth having a CPA yet? If you just have one house hack, it's a duplex, one unit, maybe you just own one rental property. Is it worth having a CPA at that point? I get this question a lot. And then I answer like this. Do you know how to calculate your depreciation or your basis? And most of the time they're like, no, then you need a CPA. Because TurboTax does not walk you through what your closing disclosure should be and what you should enter as your depreciation. So I say, as soon as you have one, it is crucial to use a CPA. Is it going to save you thousands of dollars? I will be honest, most likely not, but it's the peace of mind that you're doing it correctly. So I would say even with the first one, you should use a CPA. What are some other things that investors aren't doing? So not necessarily mistakes they're making, but things that they're not doing that they should be doing in their real estate investing. Well, I think number one is keeping track of their expenses. So I say that and I will continue to say that because that's the number one thing that they do. And the second thing is tax planning. So one is they're so focused if they have a nine to five that obviously like they're in that rat race, I have to get to work, my kids, so on and so forth. And they have an investment property and they forget to keep track of the HVAC that they fixed or any little expenses. So then at the end of the year, when we want to talk about, hey, well, how's your property doing? They're like, oh, I have to go back all this entire year and add up all the receipts and add up all the expenses. And honestly, as a human, you don't want to do that. And you're like, forget, I don't even know what happened. I'm going to guesstimate how much I did. So that could cost hundreds and thousands of dollars depending on your portfolio. But the number two thing that I think people do is they don't do proper tax planning. And there's a difference between tax preparation and tax planning. So tax preparation is when you hand over all your receipts to your accountant and you say, here, tell me how much I owe. That's tax preparation. And at that point, there's very little that your CPA can do for you because it's too late. It's already March. I mean, I have clients right now who are still trying to get their taxes done. I'm like, y'all, it's April 20th. Like, where have you been for the last year and a half? And they're upset if they owe taxes. And I am so honest that I'm like, well, that's your fault because you had an entire year to plan and now you have this big tax liability and there's absolutely nothing I can do for you. So if you don't do proper tax planning, I think that's the number two thing that people don't do proper tax planning. And the tax planning is making sure that all your records are straight and you have good financials so that in the fourth quarter, when you go to your accountant, you're like, hey, here's my numbers. What can I do to minimize my tax liability next year? But if you're waiting till April to do your taxes and expect us to just like pull stuff out of my, you know what, just to make mad for you, like, I can't do that. Like, that's your fault. Yeah, this conversation we're having is actually quite timely for me because I've taken quite an interest in learning more about taxes myself recently. I bought the two bigger pockets tax books. I have one for beginners and they have a more advanced one. And then I also bought the book called Tax Free Wealth from the Robert Kiyosaki series. I've only finished the bigger pockets beginner book and I'm partially through Tax Free Wealth, but I've already learned a ton from those two books. And I want to talk about a few concepts from these books and 
The first is writing off overhead expenses that many real estate investors miss. In the beginner tax book from Bigger Pockets, it says, as real estate investors, we are all very good at writing off real estate specific items such as mortgage interest, insurance premiums, property taxes, management fees, repairs, and maintenance. However, what most investors forget to write off are the overhead expenses that they incur because of their rental property. So, what are some of the overhead expenses that real estate investors commonly miss? It's going to depend because, again, it depends on the size of your portfolio as well. But I will give you some that I have seen that people miss. One that is very common, again, it's not a lot of money, but at this point, any expense helps. So the first one is always the cell phone bill. A lot of clients miss that. I'm always like, hey, like, how much did you spend on your cell phone? Obviously, not the entire thing is going to be expense because you have a full-time job and real estate isn't your full-time job. So that's one thing. Mileage is a huge one. I have clients who self-manage, self-lawn care, self-do everything for their properties. And maybe they're not as close. They're not down the block, right? So they don't track their mileage. And that mileage adds up the entire year. If you really think about it, driving back and forth to your properties, going to Home Depot, going to Menards, going to wherever to get permits, whatever it is, tracking your mileage can really create a big deduction if you self-manage. If you're very passive, obviously that's not something that will be for you, but that's the number one thing. Another one is home office deduction. It's small, but at the same time, if you're self-managing or if you are have an office or a designated office area in your a room, I said designated room in your house, that will qualify for the home office deduction. Insurance is another one that sometimes clients, when they send over their profit and loss statement for their properties, they don't include. Insurance is another huge one. So those are the ones that I've seen the most. Again, I will say depreciation is another one that people miss a lot. A common misconception that I've heard and was mentioned in one of the books was that taking a home office deduction actually increases your audit risk. Do you think that's true or not? So when clients say, well, what if I get audited? Number one is if you have nothing to hide, why are you scared? So like, unless you're hiding millions and you work for the cartel, like you get audited, bring your receipts and you'll be fine. So don't worry about that. There isn't really a book or specific place on the IRS that says, if you do X, Y, and Z, you will be audited. So no, the home office is not something I've seen. But again, if you do get audited and you're hiding nothing, it's just going to cost you a couple thousand with your CPA. But don't be afraid unless you're hiding something. Yeah. From what I read in the book was that basically maybe a decade or two ago, taking a home office deduction could have potentially raised a little bit of like a yellow flag for the IRS because back then, not as many people were working from home. Technology wasn't as what it is today. But with so many people working from home these days, it's just not really a red flag for the IRS anymore. So it's not really like an audit risk. Yeah. Again, the home office deduction can be really small. It depends on the size of your home, right? If you live in a $5 million home, it's going to be a lot bigger. I will tell you what I have seen and what I have had my clients been audited and have represented them. Number one, meals and entertainment. 100%. We all know people abuse that to the max. So meals and entertainment is one. The second one is mileage. People just say, oh, I drove 12,000 miles. No way. Did you drive literally 12,000 miles in one year? And number three is the real estate professional status. Those are the three things that I have seen my clients get audited for, which make more sense than the home office deduction. Yeah, I would agree with that. One of my other key takeaways from these books so far, and you mentioned it, is to be proactive with taxes. 
the beginner book wrote, learning to think creatively and proactively about ways to minimize your taxes and how this applies to day-to-day things will help you keep more of your profit in your pocket rather than handing it over to the IRS. How do real estate investors act proactively about their taxes? What are some of the things that we should be doing before we buy certain things or just generally we should be doing throughout the year? This is such a great question because I say uh, like six months ago, there was that big article about our prior president paying or getting money back. And allegedly, I really don't care about the political views. But I always tell people, it's like, if you are paying into the IRS, like be mad at yourself because you're not playing the game. Like it's all your fault, right? You don't have a good CPA. You're not being proactive and doing this. The IRS internal revenue code is there for you to play with. It's very hard, but there are so many ways to play the game. You just don't have someone in your corner that's going to help you play the game. So being proactive as a real estate investor means having an accountant who does tax planning, not just tax preparation. Again, it depends on your income again, because you know if you're 100% passive and you're over that 150,000 AGI, there's very little that can be done, but there's still things that can be done. So for example, let's say you are single, you just purchased a triplex and at the end of the year, you have a big tax liability for whatever reason. So the tax planning would come in handy at the end of the year because maybe I say, hey, Robert, we should look into some expenses so that we decrease your liability. Is there anything that needs to be fixed in your triplex? You're like, well, you know, I've been thinking about there's something wrong with the HVAC system. I don't want to replace the entire thing. So this is when I tell you, okay, let's take the position of being able to expense that repair, not capitalize it. There's so much information because if you go and replace the entire HVAC system of those three units, that's going to be a capital expenditure. But if it's just one, I would take the position of perhaps saying that's a repair because you're not altering the entire HVAC system. That could potentially lower your rental income, therefore lowering your taxable income. These are things that clients don't think it's necessary until April when I tell them they owe $5,000 or $10,000. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. 
This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. One more interesting quote from the book, and you touched on it too. So it's interesting to hear that it was one of my takeaways from the book, and also you mentioned it. And the quote is, we know that some of you may think what we have described is the job of your CPA or tax preparer, but that would be as incorrect as saying that your doctors take care of your body. I like this quote a lot because I've heard a lot of people say, well, that's my CPA's job. Where does that fine line end between what is expected of the CPA versus what we should be doing ourselves? I'm going to steal this quote and put it on my Instagram every single day so my followers see it. I've never heard this, but it's amazing because it's so true. When I have new clients come to me and say, hey, I'm leaving my CPA, I always ask, why? Because if they made a mistake... I'm going to make a mistake. And any other CPA you go to is going to make a mistake. We're humans. That's going to happen. There's always three sides to the story, right? My clients, the CPA, and the truth. So when they say, well, my CPA didn't tell me that I needed to do this or X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, well, did you schedule a strategy call with them at the end of the year? They're like, no, I just handed them my information on March. And they told me I owe $10,000. And I was just upset that they wouldn't have told me what to do to decrease my tax liability. I'm like, I'm not your babysitter. I'm not here to call you and say, Hey, Robert, so how's your year going? Is there anything I should do for you? Like I say, if you don't care, why should I care? I have other clients who are calling me saying, Hey, I'm on my 15th property, Anna. Like, what do I need to do? So, this quote is perfect because unless we're working and you have a CPA on retainer every single month, do not expect your CPA if you're a one time client to call you and see how you're doing and how your business is doing. That's not my job. One of the most hotly debated and common topics in real estate, LLCs to invest or no LLCs. From a tech perspective, give us a rundown of the different scenarios of when we may want an LLC versus when we might not, when it's needed, when it's not. Your questions are so great because I think There's so much bad advice out there that you need an LLC for every single property. Like that Oprah where it's like, everybody gets an LLC. Like, no, that's not true. So first of all, I will say disclaimer, I'm not an attorney. Don't take this as legal advice. For LLC purposes, it's all for liability purposes. Yes, there are ways to decrease your tax. There's ways to play the game with an LLC, but that's if you have a business. As a rental property, no. So what I recommend clients is always number one, speak to an attorney. But if this is your first property, it's under your name. 
you barely have any equity in it. You don't need an LLC. It's really not going to protect you from anything. And I had an attorney tell me the other day, attorneys can get through LLCs all the time. However, I do think that once your portfolio increases and your equity is higher, you should create a barrier between you and your tenants, depending on the insurance that you have. Obviously, people have umbrella insurance. So you don't need an LLC. I guess this is a takeaway. You do not need an LLC to start investing and your property does not need to be in an LLC in order for you to take that step to start investing. Definitely speak to an attorney because there are reasons why you need an LLC, but not everybody needs an LLC off the bat. How important is it for real estate investors to keep their business and personal expenses separate? We just talked about an LLC, and I've heard that not keeping them separate can actually invalidate an LLC's protection. So even if you go through getting an LLC because you feel like it's right, you pay the attorney fees, all of that, and then you make the mistake of not keeping your transaction separate, it could be invalidated. So how important is it to actually keep things really separate? So that's exactly the right thing to say because I've seen clients who get 20,000 LLCs and then their books are a mess. They mix personal and business expenses. And essentially what you're doing it's in the legal world is called piercing the corporate veil. If you get an LLC through LegalZoom, I don't think it gives you an operating agreement, which now if you have an LLC, you should have an operating agreement. If you have an S-Corp, you should also have who's on your board of directors. There's so much more than just filing a fee on LegalZoom and saying, hey, I'm official and a client LLC. Again, commingling your funds. Now you are breaking that corporate, piercing that corporate veil. And therefore, it does invalidate the LLC. Not all the time, but there's more to just filing a LegalZoom LLC that people just don't know about. And especially, I have a lot of clients in California. California is out of control with their fees. Having an LLC in California is a minimum of $800. So why are you going to pay California $800 if you're not even doing your LLC and running your business as a company? I mean, there's literally giving your money away for free. Do we need to keep our transactions separate even if we don't have an LLC? What if we just have rental properties, no LLC, they're just in our personal name? How do we handle that? I always say, even if you don't have an LLC, get a separate bank account with a different bank that you keep your real estate portfolio in. One, it's just going to be easier for tracking purposes because you're not commingling the rental income, the mortgage interest with Uber Eats, your Grubhub. Like It's totally separate and it's easier for tracking purposes. Also, for an audit, it's just really making it easier for the taxpayer to keep things separate. What do you do with your real estate portfolio? How do you handle the LLC versus personal ownership, I guess you could say? Great question. So I actually don't have an LLC for my portfolio. So I'm going against what I said because I spoke to an attorney and they're like, at this point in your career with your portfolio, you really don't need one. So I do have a separate bank account that all the money goes in and I pay my mortgage. But I have clients, for example, who have 30 properties, they're all paid off, like there's no mortgages, and they do have an LLC for every single property. They went to their attorney and that's what the attorney advised them because if they were to get sued in property A, essentially they stop at property A, they don't come after property B, property C. But this is why it's so important to speak to an attorney because you don't always need one. And for me, it works that way. The other thing that people always think about is 
they're going to know who the owner is, right? So like my tenants know that, unfortunately, I'm the owner as much as I say that I'm probably the manager. If they wanted to look, they can see it's me. So it can create some identity issues where people don't want to know who the owner is. But it's really up to you what you want to do. But that's how I handle mine. Another common situation I've heard from listeners of the show is that they're partnering with a person they know or people that they know to buy a property together. There's no real issue with that part, but the issue arises when it actually comes to tax time. The property isn't super big or expensive, so it doesn't generate a ton of cash flow. Let's say it makes $3,000, $4,000 a year in actual cash flow after all expenses and reserves are set aside. But because it's a partnership, K-1s are needed for each partner, which can eat up up to $1,000 per person, sometimes more. How do investors best approach this situation? Is there any workaround for this? So I have seen this. I have clients who partner up, let's say me and you, Robert, are like, hey, let's buy this property. And we don't create an LLC. We just split everything half and half on our Schedule E. I don't recommend that because we like each other right now. But what happens if you get married and your spouse doesn't like me and wants to kick me out of the partnership once half There is so much unknown and risk if we don't have anything in paper. So I understand where you're coming from. Let's say you only cash flow a thousand. And what I've seen from good CPAs, a partnership return on the cheap side are 1500 minimum. So now you're really left with nothing, right? So I guess at this point, when you do your accounting and your analysis for properties, people forget to add CPA and attorney fees. All they add is, oh, the water, the utilities, the interest. Okay, but you need to have our tax return. So I guess in your example, you know, it kind of sucks that they'll have no money left over. But from what I've seen clients getting to arguments with their brothers, with their parents, I would just recommend having a partnership and knowing that this isn't going to make you rich right away, but at least you're creating wealth for the future. When you think back on your life, whether it be personally or investing related, taxes, business, investing, what piece of advice have you received that has really had an impact on you and you continue to use it and think of it to this day? Two things. Number one is work harder than anybody else because nobody cares how hard you work. I think I was born in Mexico, born and raised in Mexico. So coming here and living the American dream is something that I don't ever forget that as long as you work and don't make excuses, you can make an amazing life for you. So that's the number one thing. And the number two is don't care what other people think. We're not here to impress anybody in this world. So work as hard as you can and stop caring what other people think, especially nowadays with social media. It's so easy to get in like, how many likes did I get? And it's like, don't worry about it. Like continue to work hard for what you want and you'll be fine. Anna, thanks for joining me on the show today. For those listening that are interested in learning more and might want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to go? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So you can head on over to our Instagram. It's at Anna KCPA, just one N. I try to post as much value and educate our clients and followers as much as we can. That's the best way to get in touch with us. I will be sure to put a link to Anna's social media and her website in the show notes below. So if you guys are interested, you can check it out there. Anna, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Robert. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Real Estate Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. 
Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.